Great to have you guys here. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. It is great to have you guys here. Thanks for joining us. We are packed out here at a 2 p.m. service. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Wow. Incredible to have you guys here. I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses. Thanks for being a part of our services today. Let's also give it up for our God Behind Bars, guys. Thanks, guys. Merry Christmas. Glad you guys were a part of the service as well. Man, everyone is so dressed up, looks so nice today. It's just great to have you guys here celebrating the birth of Christ. That's what this is all about. Again, it's just an honor to have you guys here. I'm so excited. I love all the lights. Don't you just love the lights? I mean, that's just, that's the thing, right? Christmas and lights, you have to have it. And so it's so pretty. And how many of you guys have lights going on at your house right now? How many of you guys, how many of you have lights outside of your home? You actually put lights on your home. Raise your hand if you would. You people are the head of the class, okay? We just want to tell you right now, that's amazing. How many of you guys have lights inside your house going on? Maybe on the tree, maybe you got some garland wrapped with lights, right? You have to have that, right? I just love going and see the Christmas lights. You know, but you don't go see Christmas lights at two in the afternoon. You go and see Christmas lights at night because it's so much more powerful when you see the light shining in the darkness. You know, the Bible talks about this a lot, actually. And, you know, God actually said, one of his first words he said was, let there be what? Light. And the light separated from the darkness. And so light is so powerful. No matter how much darkness there is, one simple light always dispels the darkness. And that's what we're here to talk about today, because Jesus actually said, I'm the light of the world. Before we get to that, let's say our mission statement together. What are we here to do as a church here at Church Unlimited? We're here to take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. So I want to talk a little bit about lights today. In fact, if you've got your notes, you can pull those out. In case you're wondering where are those exactly at, they're on your Church Unlimited app. If you want to download that, you can do that at the Apple or the Android store. Those who are still about 1990, the Android store is available. There's this new phone out called Apple. You should try it. It's really great. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, pick whatever you want you want. But anyways, I want to encourage you to get the, down, get the download. You have the same notes I have in front of me. But I want to show you a couple of scriptures that talk about lights. Because if you ever wondered, why do we do lights at Christmas? What is it about the lights? I mean, I know it's pretty. It's nice to watch. and nice to see them. But why do we do that? Is there a reason behind the lights in the season? Well, there is. And it's found right here in scripture. Check this out. Jesus said this in John chapter 8. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but, whoever, uh, but will have the light of life. So light represents life in Christ. Light represents truth. Light represents a new life. Darkness represents an old life. Darkness obviously represents depression, being down, discouraged. Hopeless would be to live in the dark versus living in the light. There's another scripture that speaks of, of course, light in the, in the Christmas story, Matthew chapter 2. It says, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And so in the same way, the very first Christmas, there was a star that God had placed over the place where Jesus was born. He'd placed it there. And, and so in the same way, we put uh, lights on our homes. And what we're saying is the lights are on our home because Jesus is in our home. That's why we do that. That's the meaning Behind it, you ever wondered why? Why a manger? Why a um, why a shed? Why was Jesus literally born in a barn? Right? I mean, what 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 is up with that? Well, that's because he exchanged his mansion so you could get one, and so he came and was born into utter poverty. He was born in a manger because he was sending a clear statement that he was trading in all that he deserved so that he could instead get what he didn't deserve to give you what you don't deserve. And so he did a switch. 
he gave his glory up in heaven so that he could give you access to the glory in heaven through him. So more on that in a minute. But I want to show you a couple of things here uh, as we talk about this whole light and darkness. You know, there's actually a really popular verse that's used a lot at Christmas time. You probably already have Christmas cards that have this verse on it. The verse says, for unto us a child is born. Maybe you've heard of that verse. But before that, it says, the, the people in darkness have seen a great light. Then it goes on to say, for unto us a child is born. That is out of Isaiah, for those of you who didn't know. That's in Isaiah chapter 9. But what I love to do sometimes is look before they said that famous verse, what was said before it? Because I think sometimes we miss some context by just knowing the kind of the key verse, right? And so we know that, that they say there's going to be light brought into the world, a new light uh, will shine upon you, for unto us a child is born, right? But before that, it speaks of darkness. Why? Because you can see the light so much clearer when it comes in the middle of darkness. Did you know at this point in history, it had been over 400 years since God had spoken to his people on earth? Did you know that? We had had a prophet for 400 years between the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament coming of Christ. It was a dark time. It was a political turmoil was going on, a lot of geopolitical action happening that was not good. People were in despair. They were hurting. There was infighting, bickering going on. People were not getting along. Sounds like a society I know where there's all kinds of battles happening, and it just seems like everywhere you look, it just feels a little dark. And you wonder, wow, what is happening? But see, light shines best in those dark moments. And so before that scripture in Isaiah 9, let's look at Isaiah chapter 8 to give us some context. It says this, then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. Wow. Am I the only one right now who turns on the television and notices that everything's about politics and they're always mad at each other? Is anyone else noticing this? I mean, you can't even go on Twitter for five minutes without seeing this. It just seems like it's everywhere. People are angry. And it just seems to me like their opinions are so heated that you wonder, it's almost like they're not arguing about politics. It's almost like they're arguing for a, a religion. It's almost like they've begun to believe somehow that we have the light inside us, that we have the answer to the world's problems. When the truth is, is light doesn't bubble up from us. Light comes from outside of us. The Bible is very clear that people were distressed because they were looking to the world to solve their problems. So whatever your political persuasion happens to be, I hate to say it, the answer is not going to be found there. The young people in the room who are rolling their eyes going, yeah, you let them know that politics is ridiculous. Well, I want to say to young people too, it's also not going to be found. The answers are not also found in education or technology or innovation. We have more technology you've ever had, and yet people are still at each other's throats. You know, we have these phones that can apparently do everything. The only thing it can't do is make you happy. Because you're looking for things outside of you to find the light, but we're looking in the world to find it when the light is not of this world. The light's beyond this world. And so oftentimes we, we forget that we are not the answer to the world's problems. He is the answer to the world's problems. It's not us. And so we wonder why we get so frustrated trying to find an answer. And listen, ladies, I know you're looking for that perfect guy, but he may be awesome, but he's not Jesus. She may be amazing, but she's not Jesus. So again, you're not going to find that, that answer, that light for your life from someone created apart from the creator. And so God is really our answer. 
You know, I, I, I've been stumbled around in the dark before. Have you? <laughs> I remember uh, one, one time I was in my room and my wife had already gone to bed. My wife goes to bed before me sometimes. I'm a late night guy. And so I happened to be up and I was trying to do what so many of us do when our spouse is asleep, right? I was trying to like sneak in and not wake her up. You know what I'm talking about? I'm being so quiet and I barely make like a small noise. My wife can wake to a pin drop. So I barely make a noise and she's like, oh, you woke me up. I'm like, oh, I'm trying so hard to be quiet. But here's the problem with that. The problem is that we don't have good depth perception in the dark. And so you think the furniture is further than it is. And so then you just walk right into it without realizing it was closer than you thought. That's just it. When you're living in darkness, the danger is almost always closer than you think. But when you're in that darkness, there's actually an answer for that. See, it's very clear. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And the light is just enough not to show you the whole path. All you need is enough light from God's truth to show you the next step. And when you take that next step, you'll have enough illuminated to show you the next step. We're not supposed to figure out our whole lives. All we need to know is what is the next step. And if you keep taking those steps, eventually you'll find yourself in God's light. God's guiding you. God's leading you. He's showing you what's next. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Number one is that we keep looking for answers within, leaving us in the dark. The answers are not from within. They're actually from without of us. It's, it's Christ that is, that is without of us, that can come within us once we receive him. John chapter 12, he said this, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. And so darkness represents our guilt, our sin, our lack of understanding. Light represents truth, knowledge, and of course our salvation that can come in Christ. And so but the truth is, this is clearly telling us that we're in the dark. I mean, we, we are sinners, okay? And so that's, that's what we do, and, and we all are guilty of it. But sometimes we forget, and we think, oh, okay, that's, that's great, Pastor. And I'm glad you're talking on that this, this Christmas, because the guy sitting next to me really needs to hear this. <laughs> Isn't it funny how we can always see the sin in someone else rather than the sin in our own lives? Isn't that funny how that works? So, so let's just, let me just get this straight. I'm going to run a little survey this Christmas. If we could just be honest with each other in God's house today. So here's a little survey. Let's just ask a couple questions. We'll just see where we are in the sin scale, okay? Because the Bible is very clear that our sin separates us from God. And Jesus even said when he was asked, hey, how do you get to heaven? He said, oh, that's easy. Just be perfect. The guy was devastated. Like, what? Yeah, just be perfect. No sin at all. No bad thought. No bad word. No bad actions. Perfect. Well, I, I, I can't get in then. Is there any other way? Then Jesus smiled and said, there is one more other way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets to heaven but through me. He said that. But let's talk about sin for just a second if we can. I want to run a little survey. Let's just have a little survey. Let's just see where we are in the sin scale. So first of all, let's just raise your hand if you admit this, and I'm going to confess my sin before you today too. So how many of us sometime in our life have told a lie? Just hold your hand high if you told a lie at all campuses right now if you told a lie. Okay, look at the person sitting next to you who's not in the head their hands up and point to them and say, you're lying right now. <laughs> you are literally lying right here in church. I can't believe it. it's Christmas and you're lying. <laughs> just let them know, right? So we've all told lies before, right? And so it's just, 
It's the truth. How about this one? Let's, let's, let's just get honest right now. And so I just want to ask you this question. We don't like to be honest, but let's just tell the truth. So how many of you have stolen something in your life at some time? Just raise your hand. My hand's going up. You've stolen something. So your hands are down right now. But ladies, you know you have a Church Unlimited pin in your purse right now. You know you do at your house right now. Stealing from God's house. I can't believe you. So we've established that we're both liars and thieves. Okay, let's keep going. How many of you have taken the Lord's name in vain at some point? I know it's a little embarrassing, but let's be honest. All the golfers, raise your hand. Yes, I see that hand. Parents of teenagers, hold your hand high. Yes. Texans fans, yes, hold your hand high. Yes, I understand. Right? And so we've all, we've all taken the Lord's name. I mean, I'm not proud of this, but, but yeah, we, we've been there. We've done that. How about this one? This is really going to cut deep. I know this is a little embarrassing, but let's just be honest right now if we can. So how many of you at some point in your life have lusted after another person? Okay? Let's be honest. Just lift your hand. I mean, I, I got to admit, I've, I've done this, right? I mean, let's, just, let's be honest. It's kind of embarrassing to do that. I know I may be causing somebody lust right now, and I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Don't mean to make you stumble. But the truth is, though, there's always someone right there. Oh, man. And then you try to make it spiritual, like, Lord, you did a good job on that. <laughs> Somehow we try to make it. God's like, quit looking at that. I didn't do that for that with you. And so we've all been there before, too. Right? We've lusted. So, and you know what Jesus says about that in Scripture? He says, if you've lusted after someone, he said, you've already committed adultery with them in your heart. Wow. That's a lot. So let me just put all this together since we did a survey. This means that according to the law of God, you are a lying, stealing, blaspheming adulterer. <laughs> Welcome to Church Unlimited, where we preach a positive message that's feel good. Here's the point. <laughs> Here's the point. I'm actually going somewhere with this, and that's this. Would you write this down? Until we see ourselves as sinners, we really don't think we need a Savior. So you have to be able to recognize that we, we all have sinned. The Bible is very clear. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. We've all done things that we're not proud of. Every one of us. There are no exceptions to this rule. Even my wife has sinned before. I've seen it. I'm living proof of it. She ran around a table holding scissors. It was crazy. Very rebellious of you, honey. Anyways, the point is this, is that all of us do sin and, and we all fall short. And this is why we all do need a savior. In fact, look at the scripture. This is kind of a turning point in scripture. This is why this, this Isaiah passage is so powerful because it's just told us in Isaiah chapter eight, hey, we keep looking to the world for answers and it's making our lives dark. But then Isaiah nine says this famous scripture that is literally prophecy from 700 years earlier before Jesus is born and he fulfills this prophecy. Check it out. There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. That's very specific, referring to the fact that Jesus will walk the shores of Galilee where he taught most of his parables. Goes on to say, beyond the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Now you recognize it, right? Wow. So Jesus was brought into this world to help us go from darkness to light. This prophecy is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 4. This, this is literally quoting Isaiah. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. It's incredible. Let me tell you why this is so important. You see, there was an old system in place, and the old system was called the sacrificial system. Here's what that looked like. 
So someone would sin, and they would have to, they would feel, of course, guilt and shame for it. They would go to the altar in the Old Testament um, temple, and they would bring a lamb or other, some other form of unblemished uh, male uh, animal, and they would, they would tear the lamb apart, or the animal, and they would drain its blood, and they would give the bloodshed of that lamb would cover the sins, the atonement for them. This is called an atonement sacrifice. And so every time you sinned, you'd feel guilt and shame, and you'd have to go give penance and, and bring a lamb and bring a sacrifice. And, and so then you'd, then you'd start the cycle again, and you'd sin, and you'd feel guilt and shame, and you'd have to go repent, right, and, and get your life right, and, and do what? You'd bring a sacrifice. And then you'd feel bad, and kiss do what? Then you sin again, and you'd feel guilt and shame, and you'd have to go make penance, and you'd feel a sin, and you'd feel shame again for the sin you did, and you'd go back to the penance, and you'd just get on this never-ending cycle of sin, guilt, shame, brokenness, sin, guilt, shame, brokenness. I know none of you would understand this. But isn't it funny how we find ourselves in that spot? You know what you call this today? Religion. Oh, don't do this. You need to do that or you should feel guilty if you don't. And if you did do this, and you should feel guilty that you did it. So we get on this sin and shame cycle. This is why a lot of people are like, this is why I don't go to church. Because I just feel horrible for the things I've done and things I've said and I feel this guilt and the shame, and then the guilt and the shame drives you to do what? To do it again. So you get into this horrible cycle. There has to be a better way than this incredible, incredibly difficult cycle that we find ourselves in. There is a better way. And it's found in a very unique scripture that most of us miss. This is a part of the Christmas story that kind of doesn't make sense to me, to be honest. I get the whole three kings thing. They're bringing gifts to the Savior. They are kings. They recognize royalty when they see it. They bring him gifts. I understand that. I understand that the gold, frankincense, and the myrrh, they represent certain things that are attributes of who Christ is. I get all that. But, but the shepherds, I mean, what's all that about? Why would, you, why would the angels reveal themselves? They come all the way down from heaven. You're going to reveal yourself. Shouldn't it be someone that's kind of credible, kind of impressive, maybe someone with some authority? Like they go to Bethlehem, right, of all places, and they, they, they're in Bethlehem, and this is where Christ is born. And, and that fulfills the law of David that was written again in Isaiah, also confirming that this is truly the Christ. And so, but these angels show up, and they show up at shepherds. And I'm just thinking, if I was going to show up, if I was God, if I was playing out the Christmas story, this is not how I would have done it. I would have thought, why don't you find, like, the governor, the satrap, the mayor of Bethlehem, because they're probably a big deal, and reveal yourself to them so they can make some big decree that the king, the next newborn king of the Jews, has been born here in Bethlehem. I mean, doesn't that sound like it'd be appropriate? Or how about maybe the DA or the assistant DA or maybe the police chief or you know, someone who's on the city council or you know, someone who's a big deal in the temple, someone maybe who's a hometown hero that went and became successful and came back home to raise his family, someone like that. But why would you reveal yourself to shepherds it's just daily workers, hourly wage, watching smelly sheep. I don't get it. Until I noticed something about the scripture that changed it for me. Let me read it to you. It says in Luke chapter two, that night in the fields near Bethlehem, some shepherds were guarding their sheep. All at once an angel came down to them from the Lord and the brightness of the Lord's glory flashed around them. Again, what do you see here? You see light, right? The shepherds were frightened, but the angel said, don't be afraid. I have good news for you. This very day in Bethlehem, a Savior was born for you. He is Christ the Lord. You will know who he is because you will find him dressed in baby clothes and lying on a bed of hay. That was important because they didn't expect their Savior to be a baby, 
let alone the baby raised, or not, not raised, but born into what would seem to be poverty. Goes on to say this, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem and see what the Lord has told us about. They hurried off and found Mary and Joseph, and they saw the baby lying on a bed of hay. Now, maybe you didn't catch it, and I didn't either when I first read this, but I began to just ask God, God, what is the significance of the scripture? I don't get it. I don't know why we're going to shepherds. There's not a whole lot there. All they did was lead their sheep, and they went and saw Jesus, and they went and told people, what's the big deal? I mean, I don't, I, don't see, I don't see the win here. It seems like, to me, we're just kind of taking up some real estate in the Bible here. Couldn't this have been a better story? And then I, I noticed something. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me look at that first part again. That night in the fields near Bethlehem, well, every farmer knows you don't raise sheep near a town. So why would you have sheep near Bethlehem? Have you ever smelled sheep? You do not want your home next to a sheep farm. Let me just save you some time. You don't want to be downwind of a sheep farm. It reeks. The other thing you don't want to do is be anywhere near them at night because they're loud at night. Did you know that? <laughs> all night long. Super loud. I mean, you will literally be counting sheep because you're going to want to go kill them all. I'm telling you right now. You'd be like, shut them up and someone deal with the smell. This is hideous. I mean, it is bad. So, so it was normal for sheep to be raised, but they would always do that way outside of town. Why would sheep be in town being watched at night? Well, that's simple. It was Passover week. And the only reason you have sheep near town is because these sheep were attached to what was called the sheep gate, where the field extended beyond the temple, the local temple there in Bethlehem. There was what's called a sheep gate. They would open the sheep gate on Passover, and a, a lamb would come in, and they would take and slaughter the lamb and put it on the altar for the sins of that person. And it was one lamb per person. And so the angel showed up to the shepherds guarding the old sacrificial system and said, you can now leave this behind, walk away from the old way of doing this. We're breaking the cycle of sin and guilt, and you can go instead and meet the lamb of God who will die for all mankind. The old way has been broken. And as beautiful as that is, when I think about it, I think, can you imagine seeing the manger? And you see this beautiful baby, and the only one who knew, not even Mary, the only one who knew that this angel was, was born to die, uh, excuse me, that this baby was born to die were the angels. So you can imagine how powerful this was for them they just saw their Lord Jesus at the right hand of the Father, and now they see him in the form of a baby and realizing he's actually going to do this. He's actually going to give his life for all mankind. None of us, none of us would even think about taking the life of a baby. But no one took this baby's life. Jesus willingly gave his life as he grew into a man he came that he, that he would give his life. In fact, he's the one who said, I am the light of the world. But do you know what he said before he said, I am the light of the world? Again, let's put it in context. We talked about how for unto us a child is born. What's the verse before? It's about darkness. Do you know what Jesus' words were right before he said, I am the light of the world? Most of us don't know this. Guess what it says right before that? His words literally right before that. Where was he? And what did he say? He was standing in front of a half-naked woman trying to cover herself in shame, who had just been dragged out, literally caught in the act of adultery. There were men around her with stones in her hands ready to kill her. This is the most shameful, dirty, 
humiliating moment of her life. And he looks at these men around her and says, let he who has no sin cast the first stone. Then he began to write into the sand. And we always wonder, what did he write? Theologians believe he was probably writing the sins of those holding stones. All those men probably thought, no, no, don't finish that sentence. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Dropping their stones, going home. And the next line he said, he looked at her and he said, where are your accusers? They're, they're gone, my Lord. And then he said this, you're wrong and I can't believe you did this. He didn't say that, did he? What kind of person have you become? I can't. He didn't do that either. He said, they didn't accuse you. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Then he turned to the crowd who knew the law said that they were justified in taking her life. And he looked at them and he said, I am the light of the world. He was saying, this system's broken. And if we follow the system, we're all guilty. We're all broken from sin. And we all deserve to be stoned to death. But that's why I came. Because the old way isn't working anymore. There is now a new way. And so what this means for you and me, number three, is the shepherds left the law that brought guilt to find the light and the lamb of God that brought life. You may be caught in a cycle of sin and guilt and shame right now. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's some kind of besetting sin or struggle that you just can't shake. Maybe your temper just gets the best of you and you keep saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and doing it again, losing it again. Jesus is the answer for you. He's the answer for all of us. He helps break that cycle. He will change you from the inside out because he knows the light is not from within us. It's from him. He came to save us from ourselves and from our sin. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, every priest goes to work at the altar each day, offers the same old sacrifice year in and year out, and never makes a dent in the sin problem. As a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. Isn't that incredible? You know what he said when he hung on the cross? He said, it is what? Finished. It's done. I paid the full price for your sins. That's why Christ came. That's why the shepherds could walk away from that old system of guilt and shame. Instead, they could find, leave those lambs and run to the Lamb of God who would save the world from their sins once and for all. When you went to the cross, it was enough for you and for me. Now, many of you may say, well, Pastor, I, I, I never really knew that before, and I kind of feel like maybe I'm still in a bit of darkness here. Well, in just a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity that you can step into the light. You can receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior. He literally is the light. He is the life that you need, and he can change you from within. But I want to just say one more thing before we go any further. There's one more group of people here tonight uh, that maybe this is you. You say, Pastor, I mean, I'm in the light. I know Christ, but why is it that I'm in the light, yet I still feel like I'm living in darkness? Is that possible to be in the light and yet still experience darkness? Yeah, it is. The only way that you can experience darkness in your life if you're literally in the light is because you've actually allowed something to block the light between you and God. And so if that's you, it's not that you don't have the light in your life, but your life is shadowed by something you've put in between 
you and God, maybe someone, maybe some besetting sin, some struggle, something you've allowed to become what the Bible calls an idol that you put in between you and God. I want to challenge you today that your answer is real simple. Those who don't know Christ is to receive him as the gift of Christmas. Those who do know Christ and have something between you and God, the answer is remove the shadow by dropping the block. It may cost you. There may be something or someone you need to let go of that's in between you and God right now. There may be something in your life, and it may be very painful, but understand that if you're going to be in the light, you can't have anything blocking you from that light. Would you take a moment right now across all of our campuses and just let's bow our heads and pray. As we take this time to pray, maybe today you're already a Christ follower. You say, I'm already in the light, but honestly, pastor, I've made some decisions that have put a shadow across me. I know the Lord, but I feel like I'm living in a shadow. Remove that today. If that's you, just lift your hand high to God and say, God, I'm going to remove it. I know what's going on. I feel the separation between me and the God I love. If that's you, just lift your hand high. No one's looking around. Just say, God, I'm going to remove it. I'm going to let this go. Would you be so honest in God's house to say, I need to do that? Praise God. There are hands going up all across our campuses. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Maybe your prayer today is that you don't know Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the light and the lamb. He is what we all need. You can receive Christ right now. You can receive the gift of Christmas on Christmas Eve. And that gift is the gift of Christ himself. Christmas literally means Christ worshiped. Will you worship Christ today? Will you give him your life? With your head bowed and your eyes closed, would you pray this prayer with me? You can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior right now. Pray this prayer with me. You can say, Dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart and be my Lord and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth to save all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.